what it isn't, and how oftentimes Jesus in the Gospels will turn it on its head and show us that it is something different than what we often assume or expect for it to be. We're looking at another story today on faith. Mark just read it. It's another incredible one, but it's probably more fair to say that it's two stories rolled together into one. I want to invite you, if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be looking at some aspects of the story in depth. It's in Mark chapter 5, starting at about verse 21. Like last week's story, this story today is also found in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8, and each of the accounts gives a different take or brings a different nuance to it. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to track with Mark. We're going to look at what Mark has to say by this, this account of Jesus, what faith is, what faith isn't, and how it is often turned on its head from what we expect. Now, Oftentimes, English translations will take what you have just heard and divide it into two separate stories. The story of this synagogue ruler named Jairus, who comes boldly before Jesus, begging him to heal his daughter, who is sick and dying. And another story with this woman who has been bleeding for over 12 years and who tries to secretly come up to Jesus and just touch his cloak, hoping that by just coming into his presence, some kind of healing power will come out of him and make her well. Now, as Mark tells the story, he rolls them both together, and it's important to catch this early on, because what Mark does is he takes the story of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and he embeds it into the middle of the story of Jairus. Now, as we read the Gospels more this year, you're going to see that Mark does this all the time. Now, for you theological geeks in the room, there is a term for this. It's called intercalation. You want to give me that this morning? That's pretty good for a rainy day. All right. The better term for it is simply this. It's a Mark and sandwich. All right? Mark likes sandwiches. You know, a sandwich, you take your toppings, you take your filling, you take your meat, and you put it between two pieces of bread, right? Mark will do the same thing. He will take a story and sandwich it between another story. And just like a sandwich, the bread on the outside is meant to give flair and flavor to that which is in the middle. Likewise, that which is in the middle is meant to permeate out so that they come as a whole. Does this make sense? And so the outer story will give insight to the inner story, and the inner story will speak into the outer story, showing two different perspectives that give this picture of what faith is and what faith isn't and how Jesus turns our assumptions on their heads. Are you with me? Mark likes sandwiches. It's one of the reasons I believe he's inspired. Follow with me, please. At verse 21, Jesus comes over by boat again to the other side of the lake. If you were with us last week, you saw that Jesus went to the other side of the lake, deep into dark Gentile pagan territory. And what did Jesus face there? a storm. He did his thing, he slummed with the pagans, and now he's coming back 
to the other side and there's no storm. Did you know there's multiple occurrences of Jesus crossing the lake to go back and forth between Jewish and Gentile territory? And did you know that every time Jesus goes to the Decapolis, every time Jesus goes into deep, dark Gentile territory, guess what? There's a storm. Not one time, but every time. And every time there's a storm, Jesus does something cool. Last week, he tells the storm to be quiet. Another time, he walks on the water. He likes to get down with the storms as he goes into pagan land. And every time he comes back, the storms are calm. Jesus is coming back. Now, we, we have to try to visualize what's happening, because I don't know if you struggle with this. As I read the Bible, I often lose the embedded sense of suspense that the writers, or better put, the narrators originally used. I read it, and I just kind of read it. I know the punchline. I get on with it. I miss how the tension is, is carried out. But sometimes we become so familiar that we become unfamiliar with what's happening, don't we? So what I'd like to do the, this morning is try to visualize the suspense of the story. Try to kind of gather ourselves around how those disciples would have told this story and the, the feelings going on at that time. Are, are you with me? So it says that as Jesus crosses to the other side, there is a large crowd and they're pressing around Jesus because this is better than paparazzi stuff. I mean, they they got to touch him. They've got to be on him. And let's face it, if some people are thinking that even just grabbing his cloak is going to make them well, you can kind of start to imagine like the pawing, the groping, the grabbing, notice me, notice me kind of stuff going on in the crowd. And it says that through the crowd, the synagogue ruler, his name is Jairus. He kind, of, he, he kind of fights his way through. He's throwing some elbows. He's, he's kind of working his way in. He gets up to Jesus. He falls down at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus to come with him. Did you catch it when Mark read it? Why? Because my daughter is dying. There is no moment to lose. Have you ever found yourself in emergency situations where every moment counts? Action has to take place now. And if it doesn't happen now, there will be repercussions that we cannot reverse. If you understand that, maybe you can get a sense of what Jairus was feeling. Healer, you need to come with me now because she is on her last breath. So here's what I need you to do. It's dark it's raining, it's quiet. This is like nap blanket weather, right? So I really apologize for what we have to do next. I need everyone in the middle sections, every single one of you who is, who is physically able to stand up and crowd this aisle. Right now, I need you to do that for me, okay? I need you all to crowd this aisle. Now, I need Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. It is very bad when you cannot find Jesus in a church. Okay, Dave, we've always known it. Come up, Messiah, please, all right? We have the healer here. Now, now envision this. 
Jesus has to go with Jairus. Hey, I'm Jairus, all right? Jesus has to go with Jairus to get to where his daughter is dying. He's got like 15 seconds max to maybe go through us, through the coffee house, and out the back door. Do you think he can do it? Okay, now here's the thing. You can't make it easy on Dave. Because see, Dave is a guy that likes physical contact. (laughs) Dave needs to be touched, groped, be appropriate please, touched, groped, and otherwise manhandled as he, (laughs) want the hood too? tries to make his way through the crowd. Now, now for the sake of making the story make sense, Dave, you've got five seconds to get to the back door. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 14. Does someone feel like we're going to be on 248, 249? All right, you get the idea, guys, right? All right, you can go back to your seat. Now, we did that with about 100 people. How big was the town that Jesus was in? A few hundred? A thousand? Were they all out there? We don't know, but here's the question. Thanks, man. (laughs) You rock. I need you at 1030, all right? (laughs) Did he make it? Did he make it in five seconds? The goal set forth. Not only that, what does the story say? It says that while Jesus is pushing his way through the crowd, a woman comes up, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, a woman who has spent all her money on doctors, except according to Luke, who is a doctor, who doesn't mention that point, (laughs) has found no relief and thinks to herself, if I can only touch the edge of Jesus' cloak, I will be healed. Does that strike you as a safe bet? Touching the edge of a guy's cloak in a situation like that without him noticing? Yeah. Can you start to understand what the disciples are thinking when Jesus goes, who touched me? Yeah, yeah, really? Really? <laughs> I'm him and her and her and, and that guy a few too many times. You, you know, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things. What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus knew something happened. It says he felt the power go out from him. Now, what is the problem? We get all kind of hung up and wow, that's cool. But what is the problem in the sandwich of the story? We've got a deadline to make. Not only does every moment count is Jesus is pushing his way through the crowd, Now some woman comes up and takes away the precious time that I need to get Jesus to my daughter. Because every moment counts. And I'm not making light of this. What if it was your daughter who was dying? She was literally taking her last breath and the doctors are telling you she has moments to live. If someone is going to heal her, get him there now. 
and Jesus decides to take a time out in the midst of a crowd that's not making it easy to sit and have a discussion with this woman while you are waiting and yearning and going, Lord, come with me. Can you understand maybe what was going on in Jairus' mind? And can you understand the urgency? And does the urgency even get highlighted when you realize that what happened because Jesus paused? He finishes the discussion, right? Did you check this out in the story? Don't bother the teacher anymore, some messengers come to say. The girl's already dead. He didn't make it. He took too much time with another woman. And that which Jairus yearned for didn't come to pass. The sandwich story in Mark is, is a story about urgency and timing. And often how God's sense of urgency and timing operates on a different sphere than our own. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but as you were reading these two stories, maybe you began to see a number of parallels between that which was on the outside, the bread, and that which was in the, out, in the inside, the meat, right? You know what I mean? Uh, parallels between Jairus and his daughter and the woman who had been bleeding. Did you see any things that seemed very similar in the stories here today? I'm curious. I'm going to open this up to you. Just shout some of them out. I will give you one. Okay, go ahead. You got one already. Have you noticed how both stories revolve around 12 years? The woman has been bleeding for 12 years. The girl is how old? 12 years old. The timing of the story is similar. What else? Neither strikes you with a sense of importance. The woman is someone kind of forgotten, right? Now you can argue there's a contrast where Jairus, he's a synagogue leader. He might be someone important, but his daughter is not even named. Anything else? They both came with a certain amount of faith. We'll leave that one hang just like that. Yes. What else? They're both women. Jesus refers to both of them as what? Did you notice that with the woman who's been bleeding 12 years? Daughter, your faith has made you well while someone's daughter is being delayed in being made well. And there's something else too and it's not to miss it. Menstrual blood. What's the woman suffering from? Pious English translations tend to water down crude wording, but Jesus was kind of a crude guy, if you want my take, and the gospel writers were too and like to put it bluntly. Uncontrolled menstrual hemorrhaging for 12 years. When that happens, it's a sign that you're sick. It's a sign that there's something wrong. In an ancient Jewish culture in the time of Jesus, well, girls will often start having their period for the first time, maybe around 12 years. And you can find the rabbinic writings where they would often be married at 12 or 13 years of age. So both are coming with the same affliction, if I can use that term, but from different angles or points on the spectrum. Which also says something interesting about the woman because it means that she's ceremonially unclean. 
Because if you read the Levitical law, back from Leviticus, they had this idea about holiness and purity going together. And back in the day before there's dial soap, back in the day before there's antibiotics, if someone is bleeding, if someone is discharging, okay, even today, don't touch it, right? And so there was an ostracization around this woman. Maybe she came up so secretly because no one knew. I mean, let's face it, if that was happening to you, would you be telling people? Would you be wearing a sign, hey, I, I've been bleeding? I'm... Ladies, do you tell everyone at that time of the month? It's not something we talk about, right? And maybe no one knew that which she was suffering through, not only due to whatever personal embarrassment it might have brought her, but due to what it would do to her in the community. Due to what it would do to her in the synagogue, maybe by a guy even like Jairus, whose job was to enforce those Levitical laws. And can you imagine the mortification that she must have had when here all she wants is to slip in and slip away quietly, only to find herself exposed? by the one from whom she tried to find discreet healing. Each story has parallels that are meant to show and shed light on the other, but there's contrasts there as well. Did you notice how Jairus comes up blatantly and boldly? What does it say? He comes before Jesus. He falls himself, he, he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Everyone is there to see. It's not really that dignified, is it? Especially for a guy of standing like Jairus must have been. And I wonder too if Jairus had been trying to play the neutral card with Jesus all this time. Remember, Jesus was wildly popular among the masses, but not too popular among the elite. Siding with Jesus back in those days could get you into trouble, a lot more trouble than it could today. And I wonder if Jairus had been trying to play that, that neutrality card. I won't take a position for or against this Jesus movement. Tell me what you think, you know, one of those kinds of things. But, but have you noticed how everything changes when your daughter is dying? when something comes into your life that really matters and discretion and decorum are no longer that which drives you? He comes boldly before him and throws himself at his feet. And the woman comes secretly behind him, hoping to just tug on his cloak. Which says something to me about this thing we call faith. Some people come to Jesus boldly, desperately, throwing themselves at his feet. Other people come sheepishly, shyly, hoping to come up from behind and not be noticed. But both come, don't they? Maybe you're one here today who's desperate. You're desperate and you would do anything for Jesus to come into your life and save the situation. Save my daughter, save my marriage, save me from my sin, save my soul. 
or whatever kind of salvation you're looking for. Maybe you're here today and you're hiding or you're embarrassed. You're awkward or you're filled with shame. And all you can muster within you is the ability to hopefully touch the edge of a coat and have Jesus, sh- Jesus save you. What's amazing about this story is that God's salvation is there for both. God's salvation is there for the bold and God's salvation is there for the timid. Faith is demonstrated by the one who is bold and faith is also demonstrated by the one who is embarrassed and timid. Sometimes faith gets characterized in a certain kind of way, but as I read the Gospels, I see that it tends to be bigger in terms of the ways it enwraps people. That people can come to Jesus from all walks of life with all kinds of issues and all sorts of dispositions. And Jesus is still mighty to save. Mark chapter 5. It's a story about faith. It's a story about God's timing. But in Markan tradition, as we've been saying from last week, it's a story about something else with faith as well. Did you notice how, in a way, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years got it wrong? Now, I don't mean how she came to Jesus. No, I don't mean that at all. But but, but what's her thinking here? Jesus is a miracle man. Jesus is a healer. Power must just come out of him. Let me just touch Jesus because his magic might run, rub off on me. The fascinating thing is I still see people do this all the time. I see people come to church all the time and engage in religious things all the time thinking that if they say the right prayers, if they do the right things, if they just touch something or wear something or hold something or put something up on their wall, that's Jesus-y some kind of magic power. How many of you wear a cross as a talisman thinking it's going to actually protect you? You don't have to raise your hand. Be sheepish on this one, but you know what I mean? We have a propensity to do this kind of thing, don't we? If this isn't said or I don't do that, (gasps) these are the magic channels through which Jesus heals. She doesn't get it. She gets it wrong. But she still comes in faith doesn't she? Even though her faith is off the mark, it is nonetheless a trust that Jesus is mighty to save. And at the end of the day, that's what faith is. As mispackaged or rerouted as it might be, and Jesus saves her. He saves her. And all her flaws and all her mistakes and all her misunderstanding. She comes trusting that there is something there. And Jesus heals her. We're going to commune today. Some of you are here with a desperation. 
and you might be throwing elbows to come up, crying out to Jesus, Lord, save. Some of you are here today, embarrassed or afraid, timid, maybe, hoping Jesus doesn't even notice you. The good news to you as well is that Jesus is still mighty to save. So we invite you to come to Jesus in faith. Whatever that perspective of faith might look like, trusting that. Because if the Gospels teach us anything, it is that Jesus is able to deliver. I want to invite you to rise. Have you noticed one other parallel as well? At some point in the story, both were found out. Jairus, who comes boldly, just cries out, Lord, save me. The woman, after she is discovered and Jesus says, who touched me, comes and tells the truth. At some point in faith, there is a moment of coming clean with God. Of saying, here I am, it, it was me. I'm the one who wants to be saved. In preparation for communion this morning, we invite you who are bold and those of you who are timid to come clean with God today. Alec, give me the slide, please. We have a confession. A way that we can verbalize it together, bold and timid alike. I invite you to make this your prayer and your coming out to God today. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And may the words of Jesus given to Jairus and given to the woman resonate in your soul this morning as well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Have a seat. Like the days you had were not enough 
when you said goodbye And to all of the people with burdens and pains Keeping you back from your life You believe that there's nothing There is no one who can make it right There is hope for the helpless, risk for the weary, love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing, to meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. All the faith and love And they've done all they can To make it right again Still it's not enough Oh, the ones who can break The addictions and chains You try to give up But you come back again Just remember that you're not alone In your shame in your suffering There is hope for the helpless Rest for the weary Love for the broken heart There is grace and forgiveness Mercy and healing To meet you wherever you are Cry out to Jesus
Lord, we cry out to you. No matter what our suffering is, what our ailment is, we know that we all suffer from one big one. And that's sin. Christ 
If the love becomes sin No greater love am I ever known You consider me a friend Will capture my heart again be your name and blessed be your name when I'm found in a desert place though I walk through the wilderness blessed be your name and every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name. When the sun's shining down on me When the world's all as it should be Blessed be your name And blessed be your name On the road marked with suffering Those pain in the offering Blessed be your name And every blessing you pour out Turn back to pray When the darkness closes in Lord Still I will sing it Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your glorious name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Take away 
choose to say oh, blessed be your name cause you give and take away yes you do you give and take away my heart will choose to say oh, blessed be Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Now, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. I'd like you to pray with me this morning. And I know in the room right now, there are gyruses and there are women who have been bleeding for 12 years. I want to encourage those of you who are a gyrus here this morning. Bold, desperate, willing to come out before God to fight for it and to call on his name no matter who sees to bring your prayers before him first. Just say this, God, blank me. God, save me. God, forgive me. God, heal me. God, help me. Whatever your prayer, Jairus, might be here this morning, let's come to God and take it before him. I invite you to now pray. And now for all of you women who are coming quietly behind Jesus, hoping to grab his cloak unnoticed, let me pray for you. God, for the people in this room who are afraid of something, send your messengers and angels to them with the heralding news, do not be afraid. Your God is mighty to save for those God in this room today who are suffering. May they see you as the great healer. For those God facing overwhelming circumstances, may they see that all authority in heaven and on earth rests with you. God, for those who are broken, ridden with guilt or shame, May they see that your forgiveness is endless. 
for those, God, who are afraid to call on your name. May they see that you are a God who is not stern, but with arms open wide, gentle, and nurturing and loving. For those who fall, pick them up. For those who are shy, pull them out this week, God, into a measure of boldness. Even if that means coming clean before the crowd as one who seeks Jesus as Savior. This we pray. Amen. Memorizing God's word is important. We've been working through it together as a community. I want to invite you as best as you can pray the portions of Matthew 5 with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And may you who are salt and light as a gyrus or a bleeding woman find the blessing that God promises you. Amen. Guys, you can have a seat. Good to see you out here today. And uh, in a few moments this morning, ushers are going to come forward. They're going to receive the offerings and the, uh, the connection cards. Please uh, fill one of those cards out. Let us know that you um, worshipped here today. Prayer requests, things that you want boldly or secretly brought before God. Share them on the back and our prayer team would love to, uh, to lift that up on your behalf. Next steps, faith challenges. You can see them on the back. Start reading the New Testament. Start committing to memorizing. Start doing going deeper sheets. You understand how this goes. Check it. We will be in contact. Likewise, um, discipleship groups begin this week.